You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Nick Ferguson, the former NFL safety. On today's podcast, we're going to take you around the league with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Visit with J.P. Shadrick of the Jaguars Radio Network and Christian Garrick of the Saints Radio Network. Plus, provide your playing with science checkdown. But let's kick off the podcast with Peter King of the MMQB. Now, it's time for 2010 National Sports Writer of the Year, Peter King from MMQB on the NFL on TuneIn. Peter, as we venture across the league, thinking about what Denver suffered today on the road in Philadelphia, the Eagles hanging half a hundred on them. Last time I checked, Denver still has... Vaughn Miller and Aqib Tlaib on defense. So if I give you the Eagles offense or the Rams offense, and they also got the 51 today against the battered Giant defense, who do you think has the better offense? Wow, that's a great question. I, I would say right now I'd take Philadelphia because I think Philadelphia is a little deeper. Um, but the one thing that the Rams have right now is – they have a re- they have a much better in my opinion offensive line especially with Andrew Whitworth who's a top 5 left tackle this year which has been a huge huge factor in uh, in how well the Rams have played I, I i'll just make one point to me about or to you about about Carson Wentz like my feeling is and you watch him over and over again. You watched Carson Wentz today when he uh, was facing the onslaught on his touchdown pass to Alshon Jeffrey. He's facing the onslaught of Von Miller, and he's thrown against a guy in tight coverage with Aqib Tlaib. These are two Pro Bowl guys, you know, and, and two excellent, excellent players. And what happens? Carson Wentz beats them both. And, and I just think right now I'll take... Uh, Carson Wentz, uh, to me, he's my MVP at the midpoint of the season. Peter, Nick Ferguson here. We watched today as, uh, you know, B-Webb just said, the Rams hung half a hundred on the Giants. And after a slow start and the blowout, you know, Coach McAdoo said after the game that he isn't ruling out uh, putting out putting quarterback Davis Webb. Is this indicative of Coach McAdoo saying, hey, listen, there's nothing more that we can gain from the season. Or is he kind of giving us a peek behind the curtain as far as uh, the, the tenure of Eli Manning? I think if you're Ben McAdoo right now, you're 1-7 for the first time in 37 years uh, with the New York Giants. The season has been beyond a debacle. Uh, I, I don't care what sort of injuries you have. Look at the injuries Washington had. They had a third of their team hurt or, or more. Uh, their offensive line is in shambles, and they go beat uh, a very good team in Seattle today. Uh, and 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 really, I, I just I think that the Giants all year we've been hearing about injuries. If you're going to lose one guy, like Odell Beckham Jr., and you're going to say, "Well, that's it; it's over," I mean, stop, stop. I mean, that's like the Patriots losing Gronk and saying that they can't go to the Super Bowl. The Patriots lost Gronk and won a Super Bowl. So to me, I think if I'm the New York Giants, you're one in seven. 
you go to San Francisco next week. I mean, at some point, fairly soon, you have to say to yourself, what is the rest of this season about? And if I'm the Giants, the rest of the season has to be about seeing if the guys like Davis Webb, uh, if you think you have a real future with them. Uh, Not that they're going to play opening day next year over Eli Manning, but if Davis Webb is lousy over, say, three starts, then what I say is, okay, you've got the third pick in the draft or whatever it is they're going to have, you've got to go and get a quarterback with that pick. Taking around the league with Peter King from the MMQB. Peter, what do you make of the report that Roger Goodell and NFL owners could be deposed in Colin Kaepernick's collusion grievance? I'm sure they will be deposed. I mean, that's to me, that's not a surprise in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and, you know, I, I just will say this. I, and I don't even know what the lawyer uh, for Colin Kaepernick would be trying to get uh, with Roger Goodell. But, you know... To think that Roger Goodell calls owners and calls teams and says, hey, make sure you guys don't sign uh, Colin Kaepernick. I mean, I'm just telling you, he if, if, if he ever did that in a million years, he ought to be fired tomorrow. I mean, he just that's not something he would do. So but but be that as it may, what whatever whatever you think of of either what of the job that Goodell is doing or anything like that. Roger Goodell didn't have anything to do with with uh, Colin Kaepernick being unemployed right now. Well, with the Houston Texans, we, we've seen them uh, get off to a great start with their rookie quarterback, Deshaun Watson. And we were all, you know, thrilled to the game last week when they went up to Seattle and they played in that game and they put up, you know, almost 100 points uh, combined. Now, he's out of the lineup with the ACL injury, enters Tom Savage. Now, we saw a kind of a slippage in play today, but is there any way that Bill O'Brien can somehow right the ship even with Tom Savage as their quarterback? Um, I, I don't see how. I mean, now what you're saying is uh, you're saying, okay, without Savage, without two of your three pass rushers, you know, Merciless and Watt, um, you know, and obviously without without Deshaun Watson and playing, Tom Savage, who's really, uh, you know, he, he should be a backup quarterback in the NFL. Um, with that being the case, and you're sitting there now at three and five, Nick, I just, I can't see it happening. I mean, look at what Houston has now next week. They've got to go play the Rams in Los Angeles. They're not winning that game. Um, so at three and six, I mean, it was, it's, you know, they, the best thing the Texans have done this year is they have found their long-term quarterback of the future. So everybody who is morose about what is happening in Houston right now, and I get it, and it's really sad that you're not going to have uh, Deshaun Watson for the second half of the season, but the reason that I wouldn't be sad is is I I'd be I'd be optimistic that no matter what happens with our defense, finally, 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 we've been trying since 2002, and finally we have a guy that we're all confident is going to be our long-term quarterback. Peter, let's wrap it up with a quick thought on what's coming up on Sunday Night Football. Oakland's on the road in Miami. Given all of the heightened expectations for the Raiders this year, and I understand. Derek Carr has been dealing with a back injury. Are you surprised that they have underachieved thus far? 
Yes, I am. I mean, you know, for the Raiders to be sitting there at three and five right now, um, especially after the first two weeks of the season where they won a very tough road game at Tennessee and then slaughtered the New York Jets. They're sitting there at 2-0. and The fact that they have lost five of six and basically had the only one of those six was kind of a miracle, totally bizarre end, you know, against the Kansas City Chiefs a couple of weeks ago. Every other game they've lost. They've lost to Baltimore at home. They've lost to the Chargers at home. And and look, I, I understand that Derek Carr is not 100%. I mean, but come on. They, they just have vastly underachieved, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, now is the time. You know, tonight is a game that if they want to have any chance to get back in it, and they're lucky that Kansas City is, keeps slipping, but if they want to have any chance to get back in it, you know, they they can't afford to lose tonight to stay three games out of first in this division. So I, I kind of look at this game, and you can say, oh, that's a must game, this is a must game. This is a must game for the Oakland Raiders because think of it. Coming off of their bye after this game, New England in Mexico City. And, and so, I mean, you can't afford to lose a sixth game tonight when New England is your next game. Peter, as always, we appreciate the insights. Enjoy your evening, and we'll chat with you on Tuesday on NFL No Huddle. Hey, thanks very much, guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Hey, this is Peter King from the MMQB. Listen to the NFL on TuneIn each Tuesday as I join Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart on NFL No Huddle. Over the shoulder, catch of the five, inside the pylon, touchdown! We'll cover the hottest storylines from around the league and preview each week's biggest games. So catch NFL No Huddle weekdays from 4 to 7 p.m. Eastern, only on TuneIn. TuneIn is your home for the National Football League. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's go around the league with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Now it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the rap sheet on the NFL on TuneIn. Ian, let's head around the league. What can you tell us about the surprising news this morning? Leonard Fournette deactivated for violating team rules in Jacksonville. Yeah, so my understanding of this one, and you're right, I mean, definitely surprising. I know it came out right when inactives were announced at around 11.30 this morning that the Jaguars would be without Leonard Fournette. My understanding is he missed a, a treatment on his ankle, and of course, remember, he missed the previous game with an ankle injury, and he missed a workout as well as potentially some other things. And obviously, missing the treatment for a player where health is the most important thing is not, not a good look. Uh, Doug Marone choosing to try to establish a culture rather than just say, you know what, we're going to let it slide and have our best player on the field. He did that. The Jaguars won by 16 anyway, and I really think message sent to the young rookie. And Nick Ferguson here. You know, we watched Jameis Winston uh, earlier this season uh, struggle through a uh, shoulder injury. It appeared today in the game against the Saints. Uh, he re-injured that shoulder. But the bigger thing is he came off the sideline, sort of like uh, Marshawn Lynch did a couple, uh, a couple of weeks ago, in uh, the game on a Thursday night, uh, what could be the ramifications for Jameis Winston as far as leaving the sideline? 
Well, uh, it's a little bit of a different situation in my mind from Marshall Lynch because, you know, Beast Mode came in, ran all the way across the field, and basically got into a fight. I think Jameis was uh, more like the fight came to him. Obviously, he had a role in it uh, where he poked an opposing player, and then the fight ensued. But to me, uh, it's not quite leaving the bench area to get into a fight. Um, Now, the health situation certainly is concerning. I know he had some tests post-game just to see what's going on with his shoulder. He's been battling it for several weeks now. And, um, you know, anytime Ryan Fitzpatrick has to come in and play, it's not, you know, obviously not what the Bucks are looking for. And um, we'll see what happens with these tests and see how it goes. Chatting with our NFL insider, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Ian Ezekiel Elliott playing today as Dallas matches up with Kansas City. Feels like I ask you this every Sunday. <laughs> I think what's we do. next legally when it comes to Ezekiel Elliott fighting the suspension? Well, he got a administrative stay. Uh, that's what put him on the field today. And then they should hear the results of the injunction, whether or not he gets an injunction. That should come at some point this week from a three-judge panel in the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. If he wins the injunction, then basically he's on the field for the rest of the year. Then there'll probably be another hearing in December, but not a ruling anytime soon. So that would basically mean he's on the field. If he loses the injunction, then you start to figure out, well, maybe his legal uh, issues or answers are, are running to a close, and maybe that's it. But but really, it all comes down to this week. And I know it seems like that before, uh, but now, for real, it really does come down to this week. And, you know, playing this game that we play uh, in the NFL, you know, timbers start to flare because everyone wants to win, and and it's a game of competition. But mm-hmm. earlier today, we saw uh, several scuffles, but the one that stood out to me was – A.J. Green and Jalen Ramsey, both players were ejected, you know, from the game. Yeah. From a league standpoint, what's on the horizon for either of these players? It's a great question because, you know, I think with A.J. Green, um, obviously the, the ejection was warranted. I mean, he just he went after Jalen Ramsey, uh, threw some punches, and it was pretty ugly. I'd be curious if anything was on the horizon for Ramsey because, you know, obviously he's an intense competitor, and I'm sure he ticked off A.J. Green, but... I'm not really sure what Ramsey actually did. You know, he mainly frustrated a guy into getting, you know, he basically got punched. And then because he fought back after getting punched, he was ejected. I'll be curious to see what goes on with A.J. Green. I mean, obviously he threw some punches, got ejected. uh, And sometimes you just get fined and ejected, and that's the end of your punishment. But I would have a hard time believing Jalen Ramsey is going to face punishment for, for really just defending himself. And Eli Manning's on his way to the Hall of Fame because he has two Super Bowl victories and because he has been an Ironman. 207 consecutive starts as of today. But given what the Rams did to the Giants, is that streak in jeopardy? Is he going to be the starter definitively the rest of the year for the Giants? They have not said that he's going to definitively be the starter for the rest of the year. And I think the way he played today and the way it's been going, um, you know, certainly leads to some questions. I mean, he missed... You know, on one drive at the end of the first half that would have really closed the game out, he missed two wide-open receivers, was late delivering the ball. Um, you know, he is he has been a great player. He has been, you know, likely a Hall of Famer. They have a young quarterback they'd like to see. I'm not sure they're there yet, um, but I would imagine they're getting close to saying, you know what, I'd be curious what some of these other guys do. Ian, uh, earlier this week, the San Francisco 49ers uh, gave up a second-round draft choice for Jimmy Garoppolo, and we were discussing this early before you came on. You know, what's kind of the end goal for Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers? Because we know that they can 
slap the franchise tag on him and try mm-hmm. to uh, move him uh, to another team and get some trade value. But do you see Jimmy G being with the 49ers long term? I really do. And I don't, you know, I don't understand why they would trade for a second round, you know, trade a second rounder for him, get him in the building, probably play him for a couple games at, at the end of the year, maybe after the bye, and then deal him. You know, because they, if he's not good enough to to play for them, then what's actually his trade value, right? Like, if they decide to go with another quarterback after having him in their building for half of a season, who would give up anything real to get him back? I mean, there's no and and pay the franchise tag. Um, so, I mean, I guess theoretically it's a possibility, but to me, this is a guy they believe is their is their franchise quarterback and. Um, hopefully they see glimpses of that when he's in the building this year and maybe at the end of the year he gets on the field, can show it to the rest of us too. Ian, great information as always. By the way, you sound phenomenal with yeah. the new studio setup, so thank you for the technological advantage oh, as great. well. And We'll chat with you on Wednesday on NFL No Huddle. Look forward to it. Thank you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Patriots fans, Tom Brady's first audiobook, The TB12 Method, How to Achieve a Lifetime of Sustained Peak Performance, is now playing on TuneIn Premium. As I was running through my typical football training regimen, I knew one thing for sure. I'd never thrown the ball as well as I did that day. In this deeply practical athlete's Bible, listen in as the five-time champion reveals his revolutionary approach to sustained peak performance that has helped him stay at the top of his game. My ability to sustain my peak performance over the past 10 years is almost unbelievable to me. Filled with lessons learned from Brady's personal training experience, the TB12 method also advocates for more effective approaches to cognitive fitness, nutrition, and other lifestyle choices that dramatically decrease the risk of injury while amplifying performance and quality of life. TB12 method focuses on developing and maintaining something that many people have probably never heard of muscle pliability catch the tb12 method how to achieve a lifetime of sustained peak performance by tom brady on TuneIn premium today this is nfl no huddle the podcast here are your hosts brian weber and cordell stewart welcome back to nfl no huddle the podcast now let's focus on jacksonville with leonard fournette being benched on sunday with jp shadrick from the jaguars radio network jp let's start with the curious move before the game what can you tell us about leonard fournette being deactivated for reportedly violating team rules. Yeah, that's about all we can tell you. Uh, to be quite honest with you, you've seen the reports of people kind of speculating on what it might have been. But, uh, yeah, that was, you know, it's one of those things where when Tom Coughlin took over in January and Doug Marone was hired, uh, he was the interim here, of course, the last two games of last season. But when he was hired full-time, uh, they wanted us to set a standard and and do things a certain way, and that's always been Tom Coughlin's way. And now that he's running the football side here, I think they had to uh, set a set a bar and enforce it. You know, and no matter who it is in the football team, whether it's the fifth overall pick running back who's in the running for rookie of the year, or it's the fifty third guy on the roster, uh, they're going to hold you accountable if. Uh, if you need to be straightened out, they're going to find a way to do it. So I, I think that was a clear message, not only for Leonard, but for this entire football team that, hey, this is this is not the way to go about business, and, and we're going to do something about it and, and try to nip it in the bud quick um, and, and try to correct what was going on. So, uh, you know, and good thing the Jags could run without Leonard Fournette. It's the second week in a row they haven't had it. Remember, they didn't have an ending for the uh, ankle issue. They were a bye week last week, and they were without him today. And, you know, they love to have him out there, certainly. But they did okay without him. 
JP, Nick Ferguson here. I understand the whole idea of wanting to set the tone in the locker room and, you know, Doug Marone, a guy who I know uh, from my Georgia Tech days, and Tom Coughlin, we know how stern he can be uh, from his days with the New York Giants. But if this is any other team besides the Cincinnati Bengals who are struggling in their own right, uh, do you think that they have that same move and they hold Fournette out opposed to saying, well, we'll keep him out for a half, we won't start him, but he'll play? No, I, I think it would. I don't think it would have mattered. I'll be quite honest with you. I don't think that's how Doug Marone goes about his business. I mean, I host his coaches show each week and just talking to him every day around the building and seeing him how he approaches their former offensive lineman, tough mentality. Uh, he's not going to take any um, funny stuff. You know, this is not his mentality. It never has been, and I don't think he's going to trick around the schedule and who's playing where if it's something's got to be taken care of. He's going to do the best he can to take care of it. So I don't. I don't think the opponent much had to do anything with it. By the way, I mean the Bengals are pretty good on defense. Um, this was a day where the Jaguars didn't make them look very good on defense, but they they came in uh, ranking pretty well in some areas, passing especially. So uh, it wasn't like you know the Colts game a little bit different. There might have been something to that. I, he might have been able to play in that game with the ankle issue, but it is the Colts. They would never come out and say that. Uh, discipline issue, I think I don't, I don't think that would have mattered who they played today. Chatting with J.P. Shadrick of the Jaguars Radio Network. J.P., Marcel Darius played for Doug Marone in Buffalo. He's now mm-hmm. back in the Marone fold, a member of the Jaguars. How did he look in his debut, and what do they hope he can bring this defense? Well, they, they hope he can bring 338 pounds of beef right there in the middle. That's step number one. Uh, he is a large human being, take up some space in the run game. This is a run defense at was dead last in the league, and today they, they did very well. Now, it's a running team in, in Cincinnati that has not run the ball well all year, so don't get us wrong here. We're not you know uh, celebrating a big victory today because of that. They ran for 29 yards today, but they haven't done a lot all year. But they, they want to start with that, but he is so much more than that. He's a guy that can get upfield. He can play two or three positions on the defensive line if you need him to. When he's really playing well, he can get to the boundary and, and just kind of string things out. He was a play today where he got past the center to the center's left, and he was beat, so he had to hold him. And the holding threw Darius down into the quarterback Dalton's legs. They originally threw a flag on, on Darius for going low on the quarterback. Of course, they picked that up because he was blocked into him and held into him, basically. So there's an impact there. You know, It might take a little time to get him fully going. It's still, it was a quick transition. You know, he came here on the bye week, and he's still trying to get it all together. There were a couple of times where maybe Calais Campbell would say, no, we'll move over that way a little bit or, or here or there. Uh, good start today. Three tackles, made an impact a couple of times in this game. And I think that it's only going to grow from there for Darius. Not only in stopping the run, but helping out with a pass rush is already pretty darn good. JP, at the beginning of the season, there, there wasn't a, a significant amount of confidence in quarterback Blake Bortles. The idea was just hand the ball off to Leonard Fournette. Like you said earlier, Leonard Fournette hasn't played in a couple of games. The team has still been able to win. Uh, is By saying that, are we still saying that, okay, now the team and the fan base is now shifting over to now believing more in Blake Bortles now with Fournette out opposed to how they viewed him at the beginning of the season? Believing is a strong word for this fan base. Um, Riding the wave is probably a better way to describe it because 
it has come in ways for him, at least recently. You know, there'd be a good game and then it'd be a not so good outing and he'd rely on the running game or this or that. But last time out he threw for three thirty in Indy two weeks ago. Um this time out he has a ninety two rating almost, ninety one point nine today, a touchdown, made some good decisions. There are a couple of tip balls at the line, but for the most part the decision making and the uh for the most part the accuracy was there today. He was helped out a couple of times on some nice catches, but that happens. So you got to ride the wave with him, and and if he can carry this over, and uh, Doug Marone praised him in the post game interview on our radio broadcast today that uh, you know he's he's up to the challenge. He knows that he's got to get it together, and he doesn't have to be Tom Brady every week. He doesn't have to throw for four hundred and four touchdowns. That's not what this offense is designed to do. They're designed to run a football, no matter who the running back is. The offensive line's playing well. They're giving him time to throw. He's got to just make the right decision and manage the game and, and move the offense. And, and he's done that the last two weeks. If he can keep doing that, if, this, if they can do that and do that early in a game and get a two-score lead, there's a feeling in this locker room right now that it's game over with the way this defense is playing. And that was the case today. They got up to – it was a nine-point game, and you would have thought it was a 29-point game. I mean, the way the defense just kind of takes over in the pass rush. So – they don't have to do a lot on offense. They got to do enough to get some points on the board and let that defense go to town. JP, great information as always. We know you have a long broadcast day, so we appreciate you taking the time to join us once more on the NFL on TuneIn. Glad to do it. And, and if if I'm on more, that means the Jags are winning football games. So I'll do it anytime you want. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Hi, this is Ned Coletti from MLB on TuneIn, inviting you to check out my new audio book. The Big Chair, today on TuneIn Premium. The day Frank McCourt made me the 10th general manager in the long, proud history of the Los Angeles Dodgers, November 15th, 2005, was monumental for the Coletti family. I have been blessed to spend the last 35 years in Major League Baseball, all with iconic franchises, the Cubs, the Giants, and the Dodgers, where I was a general manager for nine seasons. In The Big Chair, I let listeners in on the intricacies of being an executive and a GM of a major sports franchise, share the process behind the trades, free agency, and the deals, shedding some light on how the money and decision-making really works. I'll also take you deep inside some of the thought process behind some of the major decisions led to success and titles, along with heartbreak and failure. If you're a baseball fan, come for the inside and grit. If you're a sports fan, stay for the heart. Catch every exciting chapter of my new audiobook, The Big Chair, today on TuneIn Premium. Upgrade today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We roll on on NFL No Huddle Talking Saints with Christian Garrick from the Saints Radio Network. Christian, we appreciate the insight. So when New Orleans started the year with back-to-back losses, there was a lot of speculation as to what was wrong with this team. What has changed since then? Um, your guess is as good as mine, <laughs> and thanks for having me on. Um, man, I was burying this team at 0-2. I thought they were headed for a top-five draft pick. I thought you were going to see changes afoot uh, top to bottom across the board for the Saints organization when Mickey Loomis and Sean Payton. But here they are. They, they reeled off six in a row, and uh, I think it's just the little things. I know I – know, I kind of rolled my eyes when I was asking the players the very the very thing of, hey, what's the deal with 0-2? Like, what's the issue? How are you getting blown out? And they would say it's the little things. And I was like, yeah, right. You know, I've heard that before. And then all of a sudden it really is some of those little things. And the defense has turned the corner. Four out of six games they've held uh, opponents, or excuse me, they've beaten opponents by double digits. Five out of the six games that they're on a current six-game winning streak, they've, they've held them to less than 20 points. So uh, this is a legit team. And I think that 
even in 2009, 2011, perhaps I think their 11 team was better than their 09 team, but of the teams that they fielded under Sean Payton, this might be the most balanced team. They got a special teams touchdown today. They got, they've gotten defensive touchdowns this year offensively. They're not as strong, but still very, very good. I think this might be the most balanced team that Sean Payton's put on the field lately. Chris and Nick Ferguson here, you know, we saw earlier this season Adrian Peterson was brought in and he wasn't receiving that many carries and he wasn't happy about it. He was shipped off to the Arizona Cardinals. You guys have Ingram in the building, but Alvin Kamara, I mean, this this rookie out of Tennessee has been really impressive. What has he meant to Drew Brees and Sean Payton as far as what he can do on the ground and in the air catching balls? He's just got a skill set that is uh, just different. It's unique. It's a lot like Darren Sproles. I'm not saying it is Darren Sproles, but they haven't had this this dynamic to an offense in a while uh, here in New Orleans, and I think that this offense is really at an optimal level when they, they got a guy like that that they can mismatch um, him on with safeties or linebackers. He's basically uncoverable in that manner. So I just think it gives him a lot of options out of the backfield as a receiver and also as a runner. Um, I know he fumbled today. Uh, he'll fix that. He'll clean that up. But and I just think that um, overall, I said it when they drafted him and. Uh, in April, in the third round, he was worth the second round pick. They they they, they uh, ultimately sent um, and, and gave up for the 2018 uh, draft pick. But he, um, I said it early on that he basically was set up to have the biggest impact, the most success of all the Saints rookie class this year. Now, defensively, I might have been wrong because Marshawn Lattimore has been sensational. Talking Saints with Christian Garrick, sideline reporter, Saints Radio Network. Christian, difficult to evaluate the Saints' defensive performance in the second half because Ryan Fitzpatrick came off the bench and filled in for the injured Jameis Winston. But big picture, what has led to the defensive resurgence? Saints have posted a shutout this year, and every time I watch this team, it feels like they're getting better defensively. Uh, you know, I think it's just a, a little bit about players. This is going to sound a little bit cliche, but I think players kind of hold themselves accountable and not making the silly mistakes uh, and leaking coverages and – um, getting after the passer a little bit, the details is what wins in the National Football League. And uh, I just think that the, the Saints are really honed in on that. I think you got to give a lot of credit to Dennis Allen, in particular the secondary coach and Aaron Glenn, because uh, they're, they're, they're really tough to throw the ball against, as you, as you saw today. I know Jameis Winston was banged up and injured, um, but I don't know. I mean, I just think that they just kind of have some mojo going on, a, a really good mix of pressure, enough pressure on the quarterback and really good coverage. In the secondary, I can tell you down here locally, when they drafted Marshawn Lattimore with the 11th overall pick, fans were screaming at Sean Payton and Mickey Loomis. Why didn't you get a pass rusher? What? How, how, how could you draft a cornerback? But the selection looks really, really good right now because that pass rush is able to get home a little quicker because of better coverage from Marshawn Lattimore and in particular other guys in the back end of that secondary. Kenny Vaccaro going down today with a groin injury. I'm curious to see what that what that holds and what that means going forward for the Saints safety, who's also playing, I think, at a career level. Well, Kristen, you know, when we watch teams and they're performing well, it's always great to see all the great things that they're doing because of the level of production. And what get lost in the shuffle sometimes are some of the things that they're not doing that well. I mean, when you watch this team, you get a chance yeah. to see them you know, better than we do. So what have you seen so far that they need to improve on on either side of the ball? Spoken like a true player right there. I mean, it's easy to correct the film when you're winning, but sometimes some of those things kind of get, you know, um, you know, shoved under the rug and, 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 and are swept under the rug, and you don't always want to see them because you're winning. But they have to they have to fix their special teams. 
so they block a punt today, and then on the ensuing uh, point after, they get it blocked as well. Um, they had two buff punts today. Uh, one of them they got back. Um, I just think their special teams is just leaky at times. Just some little things like that that are ultimately going to get this team beat against a really good team. Look, if you look at the the creme, la, the creme de la creme of the NFC, you do that against Philadelphia, you do that against um, you know against Minnesota, you're probably going to get beat in that ball game. And I think that's one area that you look at and say they have to fix their special teams blunders. And I think they are just blunders. I mean, those are just lacks and uh, lapses in com- and, con- and concentration. So it's not necessarily a um, a talent issue or a scheme issue. They can fix those things. Christian, we appreciate the information. Thanks so much for joining us on a game day and keep it going in the Big Easy. Say it's a lot of fun to watch this year. Thank you, Christian. Absolutely. Going to grill some burgers and maybe drink a beer or two. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Hey, this is Peter King from the MMQB. Listen to the NFL on TuneIn each Tuesday as I join Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart on NFL No Huddle. Over the shoulder, catch of the five, inside the pylon, touchdown! We'll cover the hottest storylines from around the league and preview each week's biggest games. So catch NFL No Huddle weekdays from 4 to 7 p.m. Eastern, only on TuneIn. TuneIn is your home for the National Football League. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Let's dissect what went down on the field on a busy Sunday with my NFL No Huddle co-host, Cordell Stewart. Cordell, let's start with the game we just departed. If you are Pete Carroll and your kicker, Blair Walsh, missed three field goals in the first half, are you cutting that kicker tomorrow? Well, I'll tell you what, you will have a strong conversation with him as if you want to cut him. Uh, because if there is someone on reserve that you can bring in, I would do that because that, to me, uh, is somewhat the outcome of this football game. You're just that short because you can't have every every part of the game to participate in a game such as this one. I mean, it was one of those tough, hard-fought games that we've seen from the Washington Redskins. They finally end up pulling out with a little help because of the inability of the field goal kicker to make the field goals. But, you know, I'll go back to a few more things. I mean, even on that deep throw – uh, to Dachson, uh in the latter part of that game, when you saw Shaquille Griffin actually covering him, what about the awareness of not understanding that you didn't touch him when he caught the football and you're standing around looking around as if, you know, he either, it was an incomplete pass or you just didn't know what heck, the heck was going on. But luckily for Brandon McDonald, McDoggle, uh, for being able to be smart and heads up at the free safety position coming over to touch him down at the one-yard line. But th- those are some of the deficiencies I see this Seattle's football team having. Uh, while being able to play tough football till the bitter end and, and depending on Russell Wilson to get it done, uh, this offensive line, let alone this running game, and this defense that gave up so much against this Washington football team made me feel as if this, this Seattle Seahawks team is is not really playing as sound as we thought they could or even – having their grasp on the NFC West when it comes down to being a better team in that division because we know the Rams is playing some outstanding football right now. You know, Cordell, we got a chance to see Ezekiel Elliott play today, and we know his ongoing you know, litigations with the, the league and what he adds to Dak Prescott in that offense and why Jerry is trying to do everything he can to keep Ezekiel Elliott in the Dallas Cowboys uniform. Now, with that being said, we don't know what's going to happen after uh, today. But looking at the two backs that they have currently on uh, their roster, uh, Morris and McFadden, no Ezekiel Elliott 
can this Dallas Cowboys team do enough to compete with the Philadelphia Eagles? Well, I mean, it, it's going to be tough. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think so. I think this defense with Fletcher Cox and company is, is playing outstanding football. We saw the three-headed monster, and that's not including a quarterback, play outstanding in the backfield uh, for this football team. And that's with uh, Jay Ajayi getting a touchdown and running the football very well to Clements, uh, also being a part of it uh, coming out of the backfield with LeGarrette Blunt. I mean, they've added – uh, Jay Ajayi to the, to this to this offense that really made their offense that much more potent. And when you look at the quarterback and Carson Wentz, I mean he's as efficient as it gets when it comes down to playing football. And you mentioned we talked about the the running game for the Dallas Cowboys. I mean they held what this entire offense with 35 yards with the Denver Broncos and and just gave this defense complete hell. Seriously, when it came down to whatever they wanted to do offensively, whatever they wanted to do defensively. They did it at will, and I think this is probably one of their best performances of the year. But if they had to play against Dallas, had to play against Philadelphia right now, I don't care how good Dallas would play. Philadelphia would beat them. I mean, because Philadelphia has been has been playing physical football over the last few weeks, like I haven't seen any other team play physical football this year so far. And I mean, the thing is, is they're consistent at what they do and how they're playing right now. And and when you have that type of football being played. And you have your quarterback just playing lights out, being able to put up four touchdowns. I mean, he put up four touchdowns in his game. Again, Jay Ajayi finished with 77 yards. Um, Brock Osweiler, I think he just was a product of uh, needing to get out on the football field and playing well. But overall, this team has just not been able to play well. 51 points being put up on this team. I think the last time this may have happened to the Denver Broncos defense was, what, 2010. Uh, but – Right now, Philadelphia is the best football team in the National Football League, hands down. Defensively, they're physical. Offensively, they're also physical. Special teams that give you good plays. A quarterback is not afraid. He plays with a ton of, of, of confidence. And everybody's just feeding off of everyone. I mean, it's, it's just a joy to watch the Philadelphia Eagles play that type of football to where whatever they to choose to do and how they need to mix it up, they could do it on offense and defense. Taking you around the league with our good friend Cordell Stewart. Join us tomorrow, NFL No Huddle, 4 p.m. Eastern. Hope you join us every weekday among our scheduled guests tomorrow. DJ Shockley, Sean Salisbury, as we go under center with a pair of former NFL quarterbacks. Cordell is the pride of New Orleans. So, partner, how much you buying your Saints? They pounded Tampa Bay. They got some help. Jameis Winston couldn't play the second half. Now the Saints have won six consecutive games. Yeah, I mean, it, they're, they're playing really good. I was talking to one of my buddies back at home. And uh, I heard his son in the bas- background ask me, say, Dad, they won six in a row. He said, yeah, they won six in a row. Boy, they're about to lose six in a row right after that. And I was like, wow. No, this defense is really playing good, and it's the cliche conversation about every football team when it's all said and done. But when you think about the New Orleans Saints and how bad it's been for them defensively, the way they got after it on defense, uh, I-, I thought it was tremendous. Um, end up holding Jameis Winston uh, to-, to nothing. Uh, end up holding, obviously, Ryan Fitzpatrick to nothing, maybe, what, one touchdown, but nothing to really brag about at all. Uh, I, I think they're really playing some good football, and anytime you can get the football back uh, to your team, however you need to do it, whether it's one, two, three, and out, and you give it to that offense that's capable of doing great. I mean, look at these numbers, 22 or 27. That's pretty darn, that's pretty darn impressive by QB, and the running game was really good. Uh, Kamara as well as Ingram. Solid. Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm, you know, as a, as a New Orleans native, outside of how they got it done, 
to see this team tear off six games in a row, now at the top of that division. Um, right now, it looks as if this is going to be the tough team to beat, but we did see Carolina handed to the Atlanta Falcons, which I said they would. This is what I've been saying about the Atlanta Falcons. They just don't know how to play good football. They want to blame it on Coach Sarkeesian and saying that he's the problem because his play calling is, is, is not as good as it was last year. But to me, it's the same results as last year. Went up, went up by points or, or, or doing well, it just can't finish. And the same thing with Coach Sarkeesian. It's the same thing. It was before both these offensive coordinators and Kyle Shanahan and Coach Sarkeesian. They just hadn't been able to finish football games or just put it together on a consistent basis. So if you want to call it a Super Bowl hangover, I say I think they were hungover before they got to the Super Bowl and after it, <laughs> to be honest with you. They've been hungover, if you ask me. I've been in here sitting in this city watching the mess and everybody's getting hunkadory and excited about how good the team is playing. The problem's been they hadn't been able to finish anything. And look at them. They sit up here. We had Cam Newton saying that he doesn't want to come back this summer and have to deal with all the bragging that takes place with this. Atlanta Falcons team, so he got that accomplished and saw him walk into the locker room saying, Greg Olson, wait till I get my main target back. I mean, the guy's feeling pretty good. He's excited. But the Atlanta Falcons, they just suck. They're not playing good football at all. I hope somebody here in Atlanta does ask me about what I think about the Falcons. I'm saying, you watched that mess over the last few weeks. What do you think about it? Hold on. Gotta go, unfortunately. Cordell, save that passion and energy. We do it tomorrow. (laughs) We do it every weekday. You have 15 hours to vent. Have a great night, partner. I'll chat with you tomorrow on NFL No Huddle. Congrats, Nick's on the baby, bro. Congrats. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Country Roads, your all-access pass to everything Nashville. There's a lot better music selection. Marin Morris. Kenny Chesney. Florida Georgia Line. Sam Hunt. Hey, we're all Dominion. We're all we written in the same. Plus news and interviews with your favorite country stars. Thomas Rhett. You're not given more than you can handle, and so every day just kind of has its own challenges. I'm Kelly Sutton bringing you the hottest new country songs on Country Roads. I'm Luke Bryan cruising the country roads with you on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next up on NFL No Huddle, it's time for sports and science to come together with the Playing With Science Checkdown. It's time for the Playing With Science Checkdown, where science and sports collide. And we're pleased to be joined by our friends Gary O'Reilly and the Professor Eric Goff. Gary, take it away. Hey, guys. Thanks for having us back on the show. Appreciate the time. And don't forget, guys, when you play with fire, you get burned. When you play with science, you get learned. And that's why we're here today, Brian. So I think you've got to play for us. Jay Ajayi straight off the plane and landing in the eagle's nest. Play that clip. I'll get the professor to rip the science out of it on the back. Okay, let me reach over here. i got to hit the play button with a reminder. You can catch every new episode of Playing with Science and the entire Star Talk lineup a week early, only here on TuneIn. Jay Ajayi making an instant impact for the Philadelphia Eagles. Gentlemen, take us through the play. Okay, professor, wonderful debut. But how fast was Ajayi running? And did a linear momentum play any role in the scoring of this touchdown? Professor, take it away. Well, linear momentum forces and the laws of physics made everything in that play happen. So you first see Ajayi lined up to the right of quarterback Carson Wentz, who was in the shotgun. And by the time the Eagles center Jason Kelsey snap reached Wentz, the same amount of time a fastball takes to get to the plate, 0.4 seconds, had elapsed. Ajayi needed just two strides to get the ball from Wentz. 
and then unfolding in front of Ajayi was the most beautiful line blocking you're ever going to see. Linear momentum is the product of a player's mass times his velocity, and Isaac Newton taught us that changing linear momentum requires a force. For beefy football players, that force can be huge. Left guard Wesenewski sealed off Shelby Harris, and left tackle Vitae sealed off Shane Ray. Both offensive linemen needed to exert a few hundred pounds on the defensive linemen to keep them from getting to Ajayi. The Eagles center Jason Kelsey pulled pulled to the left after the snap and was in the hole created by Wisniewski and Vitae just before Ajayi got there. And once Kelsey blocked strong safety Justin Simmons, Ajayi was sprung free through the hole and off to the races. And as Gary asked, the speed that he hit through that hole was 19 miles an hour, and he maintained that while running down the left sideline. His linear momentum meant he was aimed right for the goal line. Broncos safety Darian Stewart was the last tote for Denver. He came running from the midfield and hit Ajay at the three-yard line just below Ajay's hip. But the problem for Stewart is that several hundred pounds of force that he just applied to Ajay was nearly perpendicular to Ajay's velocity. So instead of getting blocked from the goal line, he started to move out of bounds, but little happened to change the linear momentum he had toward the goal line. Ajay rotated as he was hit to the right. He kept the football right at the top of his body, and it crossed over the orange pylon for a TD. It was terrific blocking. Linear momentum was the 12th man on the field for the Eagles for that play. Well, there you go, guys. Linear momentum, a new signing for the Eagles along with Jay Ajay. What a debut, what a run, what a touchdown, and thank you to the professor for breaking that all down for us. Guys, thanks so much. We look forward to chatting with you again next week here on First and Goal. That was the Playing With Science Checkdown. Make sure to check out the Playing With Science podcast with new episodes premiering one week early. All free, only on TuneIn. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Stay up to date on the latest news as it happens on TuneIn. There are 70,000 people at risk of another life-threatening situation. From American politics to global events, get live 24-7 coverage with some of the top news media outlets in the world, including CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News Radio. And when breaking news hits, TuneIn keeps you updated with up-to-the-minute reports and analysis on the biggest stories of the day. What a moment. Absolutely. So let's get right to it. Here's our starting line. Day or night, get live news coverage from around the world on TuneIn. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Let's close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, celebrating individual achievement with Nick's picks. You're listening to NFL First and Goal on TuneIn. It's time for Nick's Picks. The New York Giants, ghouls, and goblins tried to chase me from my goals, so I hit them with the jolt from my powerful electrodes. Todd Gurley did the mash and hit the gas, 104 yards of total offense, and two touchdowns as he and the Rams put the Tecmo Bowl numbers on the New York football Giants. You know, Father Time, we all know Mother Nature is all in the family, but I'm no relations. Marquise Lee, eight receptions, 75 yards, one touchdowns as the Jags overcome injuries, ejections, and benchings to secure a five-win on the season. Fantasy loves me. I'm on my cool J. If you do it how I do it, what would you say? 
Alvin Kamara continues to show that his versatility is all good. 152 yards of total offense and two touchdowns. Look at me now. That's the late edition of Nick's Picks. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.